Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, they say laughter is the best medicine. You probably heard that, right? Well, the they in this case was the now famous Norman Cousins. Probably some of us remember that individual as well. He wrote a book about his own unlikely recovery story back in the 1960s. Cousins was suffering then from a severe life-threatening disease of the connective tissue called degenerative collagen illness. It practically had his whole body paralyzed, so it was very serious. And he took some serious amounts of self-prescribed laughter to treat it. Uh, and it unlocked his own body's cure, uh, after which he would go on to live another 30 years. So that, that was his experience with um, the self-prescribed laughter. You can still buy his book. It's called An Anatomy of an Illness. But if you don't believe a lengthy anecdote, anecdotal account from Cousins himself, who never went to med school, there is another source with a bit more clout that later agreed with Cousins, pointing out that, quote, laughter enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air. It stimulates your heart, your lungs, your muscles, and increases the endorphins that are released by your brain. Well, just who was this source that gave their medical amen to Cousins' claims? Well, that quote came from none other than the Mayo Clinic. So there you go. That's a name people trust. And the Mayo Clinic certainly speaks with authorities on matters of yours and my health. So perhaps that bit about healthy laughter, uh, it's still some news you can use today. Laugh some more because we certainly seem to be just as stressed out today as we were decades ago, if not more. And we probably have never been as stressed with all our devices and contraptions. And especially it's true during our holiday season, right? We keep buying into our societal stressful ways, even as we keep buying more presents each year to celebrate. Ironically, we celebrate what was originally provided by God as a free gift. Originally, and it still is today, God's free gift of his son to the world, Savior of the nations. On that very first Christmas, God, in his infinite mercy, gave the best gift, which we didn't even realize that we needed. It's kind of like those Apple devices. We don't realize we need it until they tell you you need it, and you try it, and you think, oh, I needed this. Sometimes we just get so busy we leave God out of the picture altogether. And not just at Christmas time, but that's when the irony at Christmas is at its richest. As a free gift, God sends his one and only son with this inscription, this card, if you will, read aloud, of course, later on by the Son of God himself, who said, Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your weary souls. Well, it's hard for Americans to rest, isn't it? That is our cultural inheritance, our rugged individualism, our self-sufficiency as we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But this aversion to rest goes beyond borders. Indeed, it's hard for human beings to rest. We keep working, working, working. We work to avoid things. We work to acquire things. St. Augustine famously said, O Lord, thou hast made us for thyself, 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. Sometimes we believe that we're working even to gain God's favor. And there's a juicy lie of the devil, if you've ever heard one. But it feeds our deeply seated corruption in the way that we see ourselves as if, as if. And so the goal out there is to keep up this frenetic pace so that finally we can rest from our labors. Retirement, that's the end of the rainbow. Only all too often, we do too good a job of working to set up our retirement, such that by the time we arrive, we've half worked ourselves to death already. And stress itself often leads to an early grave. Well, Christians can be as guilty of workaholism as any of us humans out there. But at least Christians have this saving grace. And I emphasize here the word grace. In Christ, we can finally embrace what he has been trying to tell us all along about coming to him for rest. By his work for us, on us, in us, we can finally take him up on his gracious offer to grant us rest, even if that uh, reception happens after we've worked ourselves to death, and then that rest becomes a rest in peace. We still have Christ, even in the grave, though. Amen. I will take it. By God's mercy, I shall finally know, though, what Augustine was talking about. That's a whole lot better than not knowing the peace with God that Christ, our mediator, has won for us. Now, we'll grant you Our own stress-induced death here in North America is what they called a first-world problem. Because, for example, not too many American Christians are martyred here on their own soil in this part of the world, right? But nevertheless, without all that chronic stress that we're just swimming in, we just might be able to put a few more of our waning years to good use for the Lord and the advancement of his kingdom. There's plenty of kingdom work that needs to be done in this world. And one way to do that is to look with compassion. Look with compassion in all those places where the stressors of this life take on a whole different level. We have brothers and sisters in Christ today around the globe who are still being martyred. And that's easy for us here in the West to forget about because we get so caught up in our own first world problems. Well, we deal with too much milk for our cereal, as one meme portrayed it in the first world. Impoverished children, meanwhile, uh, children of God around the world are living in fear of being trafficked for sex or compulsory military service, brainwashing. These young and women don't have the luxury of stressing out over a physics exam or researching the best investment vehicles for the best return on their investments. No, millions of fellow believers around the globe do not have our headaches. No, they are literally trying to keep their heads low so they can keep their heads altogether, either from predatory beasts or predatory humans. So now back to our original cure, can laughter tame those kinds of so-called third world problems? Not likely at all. And best advice is you probably don't want to even attempt that kind of laughing strategy when you're facing an authoritarian regime recruiter or a hungry lion that's wandered into your village. Uh, Laughing at that 
the enemy will probably um, blow up in your face. But the universal nature of our Christian faith addresses every single human on the planet, uh, whether they're dealing with third world threats or first world stressors, both of which lead to a jeopardized life in one way or the other. Every one of us, the world over, suffers. And it's been that way for practically the whole history of man. And that's why a lesson from God's word today on joy seems so shocking. To paraphrase one American recording artist, what does joy got to do with it? Apparently a fair amount, because God the Holy Spirit has put that word of joy in the mouth of both his Old Testament prophets and his New Testament apostles. And what is that word again, the word for the day? Joy. Rejoice always, Paul encourages the Thessalonian brothers and sisters in our epistle lesson today. And they seem perhaps to pick up on it a little bit better than the Philippians, to whom Paul also wrote, because he had to command them twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. How many times do we need to hear that? That's the Apostle Paul talking. So we ought to listen. Listen to the guy who knew how to be content in every situation with success, with resources, or in adverse circumstances, with no money to even bail himself out of jail. That secret of being content in all situations, God revealed to his prophets and his apostles and to his people, people of long ago. And it's an important message as well that God has preserved for us to hear and benefit from today. The ancient Israelites themselves had quite a bit to stress out about. And that's one solid fact for sure, because the prophet Isaiah in our lesson today in the Old Testament is writing uh, what we would call his 61st chapter of the book named after him. But it's during a time that history refers to as the Babylonian captivity of the church. I think it's not incorrect at all to label as stress what they, the kidnapped and exiled people of Israel, experienced as strangers in a strange land. One wrong move there, and you're liable to lose your life. Some law, some landmine you stepped on didn't even realize was there. I mean, we suffered in exile ourselves just for that tiny few short months, right, where we were excused from the sanctuary while it was being refurbished, and we were exiled to the fellowship hall. And just look at the anxiety and stress that manifested itself over that. But the Israelites in Isaiah's time, uh, they lost their land, their beautiful temple in Jerusalem, and many of them lost connection with family and with their support network of friends, not knowing, not having any idea as to where they were carted off to. And even the most sad of all, many of them in Isaiah's time were also losing their most important connection. Some of them lost their connection with their God, the true God of Israel, Yahweh. This is why the faithful and true God is sending them prophets. Even during their 70-year exile in Babylon, God will chase them down. God never stops pursuing those that he loves those on whom he has compassion. We might not understand how God could love us, but he does, and he pursues us. God never wants his children to lose connection 
Where are you, Adam? Adam, of course, is just another word for man. Where are you, O man? And this is the whole reason why Isaiah is sent to preach to God's people there in captivity. And they preach the whole word of God, um, those that God sends, the apostles, sent ones, the prophets. And by whole uh, word of God, we mean both law and gospel. Even though the law stings, it hurts. Indeed, it even kills us to hear it. But it kills off what needs to be killed off. You see, much earlier in the book of Isaiah, the law was preached in a heavy way and all of its frightening force in order to remind Israel that they have not kept their promises to love the Lord your God with all, all their heart and soul and strength. And they forgot that it is the Lord Yahweh himself only that they should serve. They were far from that. So what they were experiencing in exile was their comeuppance. God gives them the law first so that they could also then, God, he could also give us the gift of repentance afterwards. Now, repentance is not fun. Sincere repentance requires us to search deep our own heart and to admit our failures and to beseech the Lord, therefore, for forgiveness that our gracious Lord and God would grant. The law comes first, though. It's as St. Paul told the Galatians, the law is your schoolmaster to lead you to Christ and the good news about him, the gospel. The law shows our sin. And this is how we say it in confirmation class, S-O-S. Um, the law shows our sin. The righteous, holy, perfect law of God shows our sin, especially as we imperfect beings stand next to uh, that straight and narrow way of the Lord. And then it's manifest how crooked, how turned inward we all are. But it also prepares us for the gospel where for no amount of work that we could ever do to deserve it or merit it in any way, God's forgiveness comes with Christ, the Christ child whom we celebrate. And it's that good news that through his incarnation, through his humiliation, and even obedience to death on the cross, on account of all of his work and merit on our behalf as sinners, that good news is, yes, you are forgiven for all your sins. And that forgiveness, that grace gives birth to our word for today. Joy, the joy that God gives in Christ. That's always much deeper, much more profound than mere happiness. Joy is a deep wealth from which we can draw continually. By it, we even can overcome those unwanted emotions such as fear, anxiety, selfishness, and our sinful nature uh, that even wants to be God. That was our temptation that we bid on way back in the garden. It's amazing now how gracious and forgiving our God is, considering that we want to take his position on the throne of the universe. We want to take it away from him and usurp it for ourselves. And when I say we want to usurp it, it really means each one of us individually. We want to be God. And therefore, we are all in competition with everyone else in the world for that seat. It's hard to act neighborly now to our fellow man when we are in competition with him for the most important seat of all seats anywhere. We humans, whoever since the garden, 
think that we could work up our own covering to hide our nakedness, shame, and guilt, that guilt that we were born with, and that guilt that we call original sin, which includes this ungodly joy in disobeying our Lord and Maker. Somehow we take a sick pleasure in that. It's that ungodly joy that Jesus wants to unseat within us so that he can give us his joy, his pure joy, a joy that is deeper than any other, and it's a joy that lasts for eternity. When we are completely restored and when we have received our glorified bodies by Christ our Redeemer, we will finally be able to live perfectly free from even the presence of all sin. He has freed us to such an extent. And we don't see it right now. We just believe it by faith. And it is something that we will eventually see with our own eyes in glory. In glory, we have inherited earth and earth to come, along with the new heavens that our Lord promised that are going to come along with it. And we ourselves will return to serving him only as he originally created us, serving the good Lord as we were originally fashioned to do. But before we turn fully to the Lord, heart, soul, and body, our triune God has more work that he's going to do for us and in us to prepare us as a bride prepared for her self-sacrificing groom. We right now, we are messy brides, aren't we? We're kind of like the kid who's playing all day in the backyard in the mud. And mom and dad go out there, and they don't reject the child, but they still love him as he is, dirt and mud and all. But they love that child too much to leave him in that condition. Nevertheless, even when mom or dad clean up uh, little David or Jonathan or Priscilla, um, they know they're liable to go out and wander once again and get dirty all over again. And it's hard for them to even receive the blessing of being loved unconditionally. There's nothing that child can do, we know, though, that would prevent God from continuing to love that child. There's no bad thing the child's going to do that's going to make God love them less. Nevertheless, Isaiah gives us a wonderful word picture here so that we don't despair of God's love for us. And this comes from Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. Why? Because he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. And we're talking about Christ's righteousness, to which we are united at our baptism. That's when we are covered. And this robe that I have, which incidentally my sister makes fun of still, we didn't grow up Lutheran. She thinks, oh, you're just trying to be holy. Um, that won't work for me. God makes me holy, and this white robe reminds you of a good visual reminder that you are robed in Christ's righteousness as well. So I hope that visual helps us this morning. And know that we are covered, we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, and to come, glorification. So go this Advent season. Go as you may to your office Christmas parties. Go ahead and laugh as well. Laugh at yourself and laugh at everyone else wearing that ugly Christmas sweater. We know the very best medicine of all 
is the forgiveness, grace, and peace and joy that are ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, I leave you with this special blessing straight out of our epistle lesson today that St. Paul gives the Thessalonians. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify each one of you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will surely do it. Amen.